Are you ready to take your screenwriting career to the next level? If you're a new or aspiring screenwriter who feels lost or stuck in your career, the Working Writer School is here to teach you what writing courses don't. Former student Dylan Evans said, There are a ton of writing classes out there, but this course helped me work through the stuff that I couldn't find anywhere else. I feel more prepared and more knowledgeable to take on the next phase of my writing career. Writer Nicole Bennett said, After taking this course, I have a clear framework for the mindset, productivity, networking, and financial management skills needed for longevity in this industry. And Jay Burlingham calls this course the map. This course has given me a map that I will return to again and again as I move forward in my career as a writer. Use code MMIH for 10% off from now until January 31st and go to theworkingwriter.com. That's theworking, W-E-R-K-I-N-G, writer.com to sign up today. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out on digital and DVD right now. I'm Liz Manishaw. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently in, in pre-production on two, Best Friends Forever and Control Group. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative. This week, we welcome writer, director, producer Janine Damian on the show to talk about her her Netflix Christmas movie, Falling for Christmas, starring Lindsay Lohan. She talks about what it was like to jump into the director's chair for the first time after many years of writing, producing, writing slash producing, and how she won the trust of Ms. Lohan on set. After that, we play another round of The Game. But first, Ulrich, how are you? I'm doing good. I don't know if you remember, but like back in May or April of this year, I worked on a movie briefly as like a... What was I doing? I was doing clearances and I was doing... Is this the Coppola car Cars thing? Yeah, The Coppola Cars thing. Yeah. Yeah, the movie is called Portals of the Past or Fairyland. Like, I, people keep on referring to it as both, so I'm not sure. I think it's Portals of the Past is the final name. But it got into Sundance. It's playing at Sundance, people. Aww. It was incredible. It's giving Aww. me my first ever credit on a movie that's played at Sundance, which is cool. cool. I, you know, it's not, not like a producer or anything. I'm just like, a, I think my credit's going to be production consultant. That's cool. But yeah, it's pretty sweet, man. I was been helping out them with some f- further clearance stuff the last couple of weeks. They're being super duper nitpicky about everything, which is good. But yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely, they're definitely safe with the, the issues they were talking about. But yeah, it's fun. It's exciting. And I was thinking to myself, like, Oh, Ulrich, do you wish that you had like, you know, taken time off of work and like been the production manager on that movie? And would that have been better for your career to like be the, you know, production manager on a Sundance movie? And like, were there better connections you could have gotten from that? Or did you blow it with this? And I think my, 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 my feeling was like, no, like I, I enjoyed working on it the amount I did. It's really cool that I got into Sundance. I'm grateful. I'm excited that I have a credit on it. Excited I got to help other filmmakers make a movie, you know? So yeah, I, I don't really feel like any sense of like, oh, I missed out or whatever. I just feel excited for them and excited that like a movie shot in Vallejo is going to get such exciting center stage action at Sundance. That's really cool. Aww. Very, very fun news that I heard yesterday. So yeah, I guess that's what's going on with me. I don't know what's going on with you, Liz. <laughs> Like in the machinations of your mind, let's say you did take work off and let's say you did do more work on this project. 
what do you think is it just like the formation of the bond with the team that you think would be beneficial or what like what is the core of what you think you potentially could have missed out on yeah i think well like you know i, I never even met the director which like i think we, we we might have a chance to have him on the show it's first feature ever oh. by the way oh but yeah i was gonna ask my the producer friend of mine see if she would introduce us in that way because i've emailed with him before but like just about clearances and picture cars and whatnot you know but yeah i know i don't know just like to be a bigger part of it to like have more ownership over it in some way of like that this was something that like i put my own work into and oh i don't know i guess there's always like the thing of like oh becoming best friends with the actors you know it's like oh i could have been friends with scoot mcnary if i had like you know whatever been on this movie I never got to meet him, whatever, you know, it's like, but I think all that stuff is just stupid. It's like, what, I'm really yeah. going to be friends with Scoot McNary just because I worked on a project. And do you want to be friends with Scoot McNary? He's great. But like, do you, what is it about him that makes you want to be friends with him? Does he tell actor. really good jokes? I don't know. Oh, okay. He's a really fun <laughs> actor. And I really liked him in the Western that show that he was on. Loveless, I think it's called on Netflix. Oh, I don't know. He's fantastic. Really, really I guess really I'm just good. thinking like. Is it worth feeling, I know that you moved on, but like as a director or as a producer, you do remember people who go the extra mile for you, even in even in small roles, right? So yeah. would it have made that much of a difference had you become production manager? I don't know, because they clearly saw that you went the extra mile for them in the role that you were in. So I think it's like, this is one of those scenarios where I was like, why? Why worry about this? Like you already yeah. made such a good impact. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it was like a, it was more like a thought I had that I immediately like was like I just asking myself these questions like do I feel this way and it's like you know instantly yeah. no I don't feel that way like I I feel like I made the right decisions and you know even like stopping working on it halfway through because it was like killing me I feel like was the right decision you know yeah because I put so much work into that thing man I mean I don't know how many hours it was but it was hours upon hours working on that movie you know I think what it what it does for me it solidifies. The thing you keep on telling me not to do, which is to stop working on movies. But like, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> like, I enjoy being a part of it in some small way. Like, even just being like the, the online editor on a movie, there's like an, it's, it's there's some sort of enjoyment of being a part of the process and like helping them, the helping the director, the producer, like put this movie together, like being a small part of like making art that is going to be sh shared with the world. Like, it's fun, you know? So like, yes, it's a lot of extra work. And yes, like I'm like, you know, doing this on top of a day job. And yes, I have movies of my own that I should be working on. But it's like, it's I don't know, I enjoy it. I get some kind of it's like, I mean, I'm not expecting all the movies I work on to get into Sundance. But like the fact that this one happened to, it's like, I do have a warm feeling of Oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, the movie. Oh, that's so wonderful. You know, I think about all the picture car uh, owners that like, donated their cars to the movie or like you know brought them in for very little and everything and like now their movie they're gonna get to see their car on the big screen like they, i mean they're not gonna go to sundance but like to have their move their cars be in a movie that did play at sundance and like is gonna have a little bit more attention because of that it's pretty cool so anyways yeah that's my takeaway <laughs> I think that's fair. And I give you a hard time because I think I don't understand. I mean, I have this marketable <laughs> skill of distribution consulting, right? Like I can do and I do free consultations like like not free, but like if someone wants to work with me, I always do a half hour with them. And then essentially always turns into a free half hour consultation. And that is a lot of wasted time and energy and money on my part. But I do 
get joy out of it. Like if I can be useful and say something that could unlock something for someone else, I I do feel that kind of satisfaction too. I just don't have the skills that you do in terms of like post-production or overseeing certain management practices. So like I look at that and I say like, why? Why do like I don't understand. But if (laughs) if you're feeling the same way I do when I give someone like a free distribution call, then I do get it. I just think we have to be I think like once you hit your 30s or your four. I mean, there's a certain period where it's like (laughs) I think we should be a little bit more selfish sometimes than we are being with our time. And that's what I always want to urge people to do is like to make sure you protect parts of yourself and your time. What am I? I don't really have very interesting things to say other than the fact that I saw Bros the other day, the Nick Stoller, Billy Eichner film, and I loved it so much. And I just felt like we all slept on this movie in spite of Billy Eichner's like, massive self-promotion efforts that he did. And I just wanted to use this time to encourage everyone to go see it because I thought it was so wonderful. What a great movie. Ulrich, have you seen Bros? No, I've never even heard of it. What? Ah, it's, it's just a wonderful rom-com. And uh, it's a good holiday movie. It's very funny. I laughed out. I watched it. I haven't been sleeping. So I woke up at like three, two days in a row. And I watched it at 3 a.m. over two days. And I was laughing, sitting on the toilet seat, laughing at 3 a.m. That's how good it was. So unpaid What can you watch it on? What What is it on Netflix or something? Or I watched it on Peacock. It was Peacock. Peacock. Nice. Get your Peacock well, login. It has 22,000 ratings on imdb which is a lot it seems like to me so very good it's a big deal it's a big deal but it but as sean likes to say i was the one of four people to see it that doesn't make i looks like i was one of twenty two thousand people who saw it twenty two thousand and twelve people who saw it so that's that's pretty good because you gotta filter down right for imdb like how many people watch the movie are actually rating it imdb it's probably like you know maybe a quarter or a tenth of the audience you know at best so right. yeah, that's true. That's true. There's a lot more <laughs> that I actually saw it, which is very cool. But I'm trying to think if there's any other update I have other than that. I mean, I think we're settling into holiday things right now, right? Where we're all going to turn yeah. off, which is yeah. weird and scary and good for us. So I'll be reading a lot of books and eating a lot of food and watching more holiday rom-coms. What, so this is the day after Christmas when people are listening to this. Like, what do you think you ate yesterday for Christmas? Like, what what do you think is like the, the thing that you enjoyed the most from your Christmas feastings that you just are getting over? Oh, <laughs> well, I will be in Alabama. So let's just also note we're recording this way in advance. No, I will this be is, this is the a- day after Christmas right now. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I will be with in-laws in Huntsville, Alabama, and Sean's mom makes so many delicious dishes that involve cheese. They're a Midwestern family that got transplanted to the South, Mm. and I will, maybe I will have feasted on her manicotti, which is so delicious. And so I'm thinking about that. I'm bringing myself back to the cheesy experience of the manicotti. What about you? My mom makes eggnog every year for Christmas because I demand her to, and she makes it from scratch which is incredible. So that will be, you know, probably a little jar of it left in the fridge that I'll be enjoying on the 26th. What else? 
I don't really know what my brothers and his wife have planned for Christmas food this year. I've not been looped in, so I don't really know what to be expecting. Although I'm planning to make something that I've never made before this holiday season, which is a... So it's basically, it's it's like a s'mores bar, but instead (gasps) of marshmallow, you do meringue. So it's like a fancy, pantsy s'mores bar thing that I found from the Smitten Kitchen cookbook my my wife has. And it it looks incredible. And I've I've never made meringue before, so I'm excited to try making meringue for the first time. I also want to do a a Yule Tide like log roll thing. Oh yeah, yeah, those yeah. Are, those are fun. And th- my my wife found a banana bread one. That's like a banana bread <gasps> like log roll thing. So I'm gonna try to make that too. So I'm I'm really gonna try to flex my crazy Good. baking muscles and do some new stuff this holiday season. So that's what I'm getting. Probably will be ingesting or recovering from ingesting <laughs> on the 26th while you're hearing this. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I've noticed that only certain people, like I am not a baker. I'm more of a, I can't cook, but I can cook more than I can bake. And I feel like people who, I mean, uh, tell me Ulrich, if I'm wrong, people who are okay with following directions are better bakers yeah, than people. I do true. not like to follow directions and so I'm a horrible baker. I don't either. That's why I struggle with it. I'm more of a I'm a better cook because like I I like to freestyle and like you know yes. like I'll take a recipe and I'll like change things all the time and like oh I don't like this, I'll put this in or oh I think it yeah. needs longer, let me just do this. But like for baking it's like so precise, it's more like a science, you know. Yeah. So I'm I'm learning like when I bake things to be better about that. Like when my wife was pregnant, I learned to make cookies just the way that she likes it and you know there is a little bit of exp- uh, you know uh, experimentation with that because we like substitute things but you still have to mm-hmm. get all the, the the measurements just right you know so like i think by making those cookies like a thousand times now i think i've sort of like my baking game is getting higher and then the other day i made lemon ricotta pancakes for the very first time where i had <gasps> to like separate the eggs and I had to like beat the egg whites until they were like, they had peaks just like you do with meringue. So it was like part of the meringue process, but not the whole meringue process. So I felt like that was a good, like, uh, that's a good tester getting ready to go off the, the deep end and make these crazy meringue bars, which I'm excited about. <laughs> yeah. So this sounds delicious. See, we're just like taking, taking the, the few weeks off, talking about cooking, but uh, even though we're doing that, we're going to gear up for the new year soon. And don't forget to support us on Patreon to get the show to be up to the the best standards that it could possibly be. Patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. It is how we fund the show. And right now we'll have just so many episodes behind the Patreon paywall. And the only way to access them will be to be joining at the one ninety nine a month base level on Patreon, right, Ulrich? That's right. You got it, Liz. <laughs> at one ninety nine, you'll get all access to all the back catalog and many, many more things that are only available for Patreon listeners, like our bonus episodes, which I will be dropping at least one over the holiday break and maybe even two. So we'll see. Also, don't forget to check out jambox.io, which is a royalty-free music and SFX company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. The composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood films, working with directors like Michael Bay, Martin Scorsese, global brands like DJI. They offer customized plans to fit your needs. Head on over to jambox.io to check them out. Without any more delay, here's our chat with Janine Damien. Janine, 
Can you give us the elevator pitch for Falling for Christmas? Oh, the elevator pitch. Oh, okay. Well, I think that it's a story about a girl that on the, when you, you know, when you first meet her, it looks like she possibly has everything that anybody could ever want. And with a little bit of Christmas magic, she gets a chance to have a glimpse of her life in a different light and find out what really is important to her and that it's, you know, friends, family, community, and basically everything that the spirit of Christmas is all about. So it's inspiring and hopeful and sweet and charming and funny. So we just wanted to bring a little Christmas magic to everybody. (laughs) How many days did you shoot the movie? Oh, I think we shot in 25 days. Is it 25 days, Michael? I think it was about 25. I'm not sure if we're allowed to even say. Are we allowed to say? <laughs> Usually say. people can tell us days. The next question you're going to not want to tell us, but we're going to ask us anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, we ask about ranges because we know that you're you're being instructed or you make a decision, internal decision not to share. But can you say if it's a sub 1 million or what can you tell us? Well, it's definitely over that. <laughs> okay. Can you say if it's sub five? Can you say it's like if it's a range between one and five? No, it's above five. <laughs> oh, okay. You know okay, what? let's go like, ten. Ten. No, Is it but ten or I feel higher? Like <laughs> after five, like... So I can't really say. I really... I, you know what? They didn't actually... Netflix actually hasn't briefed me on this part, on the budget uh. thing. But my guess is that on other, other studio films that they prefer for everybody to see it and feel that it was as expensive as it looks. Okay, mm. fabulous. And Excellent. I think after five, it's kind of like it's in the stratosphere for a lot of indie filmmakers anyway. So... Yeah. Yes, that imparts enough information. <laughs> Can you talk about like how you came up with the story or the origin of the story? The origin of the story, it was written by Jonathan Bennett and Ron Oliver. And the production company and PCA came to us with the script. And we met with Netflix and we talked to them about, about our vision for um, where we think it could go. And we did a, a rewrite and a polish on it. And then we jumped in from there. So Lindsay had already, had already seen the script at that point and she was already on board. So we came in and did some you know, fine tuning and they, uh, Netflix really wanted to make sure that we played to her strengths and that we had you know, really fun comedic elements, especially physical comedy for her and, and really develop the, also the heartfelt moments. So that's basically our involvement, but it was in great shape when we got it so when was that so like what is the hist- what is the duration of your involvement with the film from when you came on until now it's it's i would say it's approximately a year from us coming on and doing all the, the note sessions and the rewrite and then getting into pre-production all the way through to post and delivering. And then compared to all the other projects you've made, how difficult was it to make this one? This was our first time working with Netflix. And I have to say, they have a. we had heard that they had a reputation of being filmmaker friendly, and they certainly are. They were really supportive, collaborative. They really try to give us all the tools that we need and that the money's being spent where we want it to be spent as filmmakers in order for us to get the vision on screen. So it was a really great experience for us working with them. I have a lot of Christmas movie specific questions. I'm going to try not to inundate you with them. <laughs> but the I think the one that perplexes me the most of all is the idea of various platforms or production companies or streamers or whatever 
whatever it is, imposing certain tropes on holiday content. You know, we just found out there was a coat and coffee trope that was mandated on a recent Christmas movie. (laughs) In the script or in the way you spoke with Netflix, were they like, you have to have a Santa Claus, you have to have this magic, you have to have a sleigh, you have to have a snow globe? Or did that all come out of research from the writers trying to bring that Christmas magic to screen with comfortable illusions? Can you, what can you tell us about like the Christmas content of the film? So for this particular film, usually we write everything from the beginning. So it's usually our um, original idea. This particular one was already, it, it was already, you know, fleshed out by the time we got it. So most of those Christmas elements were in, mm. I will say having experienced, you know, writing and producing quite a few Christmas films, that there are certain things about Christmas that the audience really loves and all those cozy and warm and fuzzy opportunities that you can put into the story, I think just makes it more charming. And, you know, there's things about Christmas that I think that is why it's such a loved holiday. And, you know, and if you do put in your snow and your hot cocoa and your Santa Claus and your magic and those warm and fuzzy feelings of family coming together and all of the positive spins that I think that Christmas can take and that makes everybody want to stop and spend time with family, want to want to maybe, you know, take a little bit of a break from work, feel grateful and have all those special moments. And I think that if we can actually incorporate that into a film, that Christmas gives you a really great platform for that. So we didn't, Netflix didn't say to us, oh, you have to have, you know, you have to have a snowball fight or you have to have a horse and sleigh. But I think that horse and sleighs are really beautiful. And I I think that the moment that Lindsay's character spends with the horse, I thought was a really lovely moment and being able to, and then if you're going to have a horse, then why not have a sleigh? Why not have snow? (laughs) And all of those things. I mean, I don't know. I, I love Christmas and I love all that stuff. So to me, I don't feel like anybody would ever impose it into a script because we like them anyway. But when it feels like it's sort of shoehorned in or that you're having to tick a box, I think that that's a mistake, that it really needs to be organic. So you've been writing movies and producing movies for a very long time, but this is the first time that you've directed a movie. Can you talk about why jumping into the director's seat now and why this movie? Yes. Our producer, Brad Cravoy, we have worked with for many movies. He's been such an amazing, he's been a mentor to us and he has been such a champion in our careers, came to us and said that Lindsay is ready to come back and we are looking for the right director for her. And I think he felt that a husband and wife team was a really great idea, not unlike the Nancy Myers, Charles Shire team. And he felt that maybe a woman would be a better choice for her just to give her a really safe and welcoming place for her. So he came to Michael and I and said, what if, what if you guys kind of flopped roles and Janine, you took the reins and directed and Michael would do my side of it. So we thought that was a really interesting idea. It's something that we've been talking about doing anyway. We kind of work super side by side. So I, I it's kind of a blurred line about who does what, because I really consider Michael my co-director on this movie. 
and vice versa. The difference is, is that I was, I was actually directing the actors, whereas normally he's the one that goes in and directs the actors and everything else is, I think, a big collaboration between the two of us. Trying to figure out the way to phrase this question. The fact that Lindsay Lohan was in this movie and the mm-hmm. fact that you did a blooper reel at the end and it was such heartwarming content and the release of it in early November and like the metaverse that was created, like bringing in Castle for Christmas, bringing in Mean Girls. Like there's a lot that y'all did to immerse and grow the world of the film mm-hmm. and then having her and like having her the context of Lindsay Lohan I feel like this is a film that is an opportunity to refurbish her image a little mm-hmm. bit yes can you talk a little bit about that about going through the making of a movie but also having to be hyper aware of something like that well I think that Lindsay is really smart and it's not that different from the character that she's playing in this movie where she decided to take some time and reevaluate what was, I think, important in her life. And I believe that she was very careful in choosing when she decided that she wanted to come back to acting and in what project. There was a lot of thought put into it. She's a very smart girl and she is very aware of everything and she aware she's aware of what she does and the meaning of and how much meaning everybody puts into it she's really quite watched so i think this was the perfect choice for her to come back she came back with something that her fans will embrace that it's it's something that's heartwarming and funny and it's what they want to see from her what they're used to seeing and she has grown from a young woman into a beautiful smart talented woman and they are having to get used to seeing her that way and so i think she did an amazing job i think this was you know it wasn't easy first couple of days we were all getting to know each other and she is very careful and private i thought that this was a a really great opportunity for both of us because she was also aware that I'm a woman, that I was given an opportunity. I've been working in this business all this time and this was my directorial debut. It was her time coming back. So I think that we bonded that way over the situation and came together in a really harmonious, you know, beautiful working relationship. Can you talk about like the process for you actually getting the job? Like, you know, I know you were put up for it by your producer, Mm -hmm. Did you have to get vetted by Netflix? Did you have to prove yourself in any way? Did you have to sit down with Lindsay and get her okay and meet her first? Like, talk about all the steps you had to do before you could actually, like, say, yes, I have this job. Um, Well, I think that there's kind of a process that everybody goes through in a situation like this. I mean, we did have to meet with Netflix. They wanted to hear my vision for the film and Michael's as well. Um, They met with us together. That was the, you know, first we wanted to make sure we were all on the same page. Then we met with Lindsay's representatives who also, I mean, I think that all of us, I think that it was sort of a two-way street. It was uh, Michael and I also needed to meet with her representatives and also needed to meet with Lindsay. I think we all needed to meet each other to make sure that it was a good fit because it is such an important project and it is bringing her back and it is it is we knew it was going to be scrutinized so i think all of us needed to be on the same page so there was definitely three different um, very important meetings that had to take place before we all decided to go forward i love christmas movies because i love rom-coms and it feels like christmas movies are like the 
last vestige of the rom-com, <laughs> the dying art of the rom-com. <laughs> I think I think it's making a resurgence. I, I want to believe that because <laughs> I love them too. I hope so. I, I love your faith. I love your faith. <laughs> and I want to believe. When it comes down to the idea of chemistry between the two leads of something like, like a rom-com or a Christmas movie, that's incredibly important. And I did notice that they did have chemistry and it was a very sweet connection between Court Overstreet and Lindsay Lohan. Did you do chemistry reads or is, is it a situation where cast had approval over over who you went out to or what was the casting process of of creating that romantic space for everyone we definitely did a chemistry read we had to do it via zoom which is not the easiest way because of that you know Lindsay was was lives you know outside of the country and uh, it's just you know the, where everybody was and it was still a little bit covety at the time and so i think we all kind of got used to doing that in the last couple of years doing a lot more casting and things virtually as opposed to in person so we did a chemistry read you know obviously we wanted you know Lindsay to be comfortable and we also wanted to be comfortable as well as the netflix you know network and execs needed to so you know again i think it's something that we all come together test it out see how it's looking and how everyone's feeling and then we all have have meetings and come together with a collective decision on um, how we wanted to go forward but i think that we love the two of them together. So it wasn't a real difficult process. <laughs> Can you talk about like, you know, this is your first time directing, like and you said that Michael, but you've been on many, many sets, you know, but you're, you specifically said that Michael normally talked to the actors and that was something that you hadn't really done, you know, before, I'm not sure if ever before, but like that wasn't your main role. Right. So could you just talk about like what it was like and like what you, what you did to prep to like get used to talking to actors and like how you approached that part of the process? Well, I, you know, I've, you know, I've just done so many movies and we do, you know, you know, obviously because we do work so closely, I, I, you know, I had, you know, talked to the actors, but I think it was mostly the, you know, blocking the scenes and then going in and giving notes. And I had absolutely the best teacher on the planet, which is Michael to watch for, you know, 20 years <laughs> doing it. So I felt really ready and he was really supportive. And if ever I had any questions about anything and just, you know, as we were in pre-production, he was talking to me about that. And he was right there with me by, by my side. So I had the absolute easiest transition I think anybody could have into directing. So it was really a, a luxury to have him with me. I noticed a, a trend of very family-friendly content in your CV and wondered mm-hmm. if that was by design, you know, because that's the content you're attracted to, or if it's because that's where there's a sustainable career for filmmakers, or if it's a mix of the both. What, you know, why, why do you choose the projects that you do? And is there some sort of ethos behind that? Well, I think that Michael and I, we tend to write and make movies that have a, a content of something that we would like to watch. We are the kind of people that like to be inspired by films. They don't have to necessarily be be comedies or necessarily family friendly, but we want there to be hope and some sort of an inspiring message. We we take our voice really seriously and what we want to put out in the world. We like to put out positive messages. So I think that that's definitely something that we are aware of when we are picking, you know, when we're, when we're choosing what story we want to delve into or what projects we want to be involved in. And it also, you know, it's something that we're really comfortable with that I think that we do really well. And, you know, sometimes we have somebody that comes to us with something that's really out of the box. And, and that's really fun. And I think it's really good to grow. And we never, we never, 
like to put boundaries on what we do creatively. I will say this. I don't think that we probably would ever do a horror movie because <laughs> they scare me. <laughs> and you have to live with it for a whole year. I mean, the other thing is, is that whatever movie you do make, you have to live with it for a whole year. And that's basically your life. And we like to immerse ourselves in our films. And we, because we work together, we work a lot. So whatever it is we're working on, if it's something that's beautiful and inspiring and fun, then that's, you know, that's a happy place to live. So you talked about the first couple of days being challenging on on the film, you know, because you're just getting to know each other. And like, you know, this is Lindsay's first movie in a long time. But obviously, you won her trust through this process. Oh, yes. So can you just talk about like, what are some of the things that you did to earn that trust and, and, and how that worked out? Well, I think that communication is the key. I think it's really important to make sure that we're able to have a really open communication. I, I like to start the day out if I can, going into the trailer and seeing her in, in makeup and hair and making sure that just even like that's the day starts there. And I wanted to make sure that she was feeling really comfortable with everything because, you know, that actually dictates the character as well. And she's really aware of what she's wearing, what her how her hair is, what her makeup is, is it, is it serving the story? So we kind of just start there. And that's also because we're there and the day is just starting. It's a really good time for us to discuss how she's feeling. Is there anything in the dialogue that she wants changed? Lindsay is such a pro and she's been doing this her entire life. So she is really respectful of the process. And if she's going to change lines or going to do anything like that, she always makes sure to either, you know, text me, you know, the night before or the next morning and bring it up. And so we just kind of learned a shorthand really quickly of how do we prepare the day and make sure that if there's any issues or changes or anything that we want to work on, that we make sure that we get it done before we start. I think it's just it's it's just as important to have as many conversations and as much face time as possible when you know you're not just you know when she's not just stepping onto the to the set and we start blocking you know. So those first couple of days, you know, we spent a little bit more time together. So the story that you're telling of coming to directing feels like it's one of circumstance in addition to obviously some desire that that maybe hasn't fully been explored in this interview. But but you're going to be doing Irish Wish with Lindsay Lohan as the next movie that you're directing, right? Yes. So yes. does this mean you're now co-opting the directorial jobs from Michael all the time and that you're going to be <laughs> Madam Director for the rest of your co-career? Tell, tell us the decision that went into that. Well, I think that Lindsay and I are, we had a really great time working together and Michael was, I, I think, he, you know, he's been, he's been so great and so supportive and it was one of those things where let's just keep, you know, Falling for Christmas was a great collaboration for everyone. And I think we were all really happy with the roles that we played on that in that movie. And, you know, going forward, Lindsay and I have a shorthand together. We know that it works. And we thought, well, let's just go forward for Irish Wish with the same team in the same roles. I'm absolutely not going to be directing everything that we do together. You know, Michael will, uh, you know, definitely continue directing as well. Hopefully, there'll be time in the future where we will be able to co-direct. And that's also a a, a DGA question. And we will be having conversations with them about that as well. I think that there's room for us both to be, you know, directing in our careers. Yes. Going forward, we'll have to see what the next one is. Mm -hmm. Well, writing together is... It's one of those really, it's kind of an inexplicable thing that happens between the two of us. We both write, well, I'm typing 
and he's pacing. We work out the dialogue together. We just kind of, but the story just comes together. We act out characters. And when we're done, we have no idea who wrote what. It's literally a complete collaboration between the two of us. It's just, it's really interesting that we have this vision that it's just cohesive and it comes out as just one singular vision between the two of us. We're really fortunate that way. We don't, we don't argue a lot. And if we ever get into a situation where one of us feels like, oh, I thought we were going to go this way. And the other one says, oh, well, I wanted to go that way. Then we kind of, then we, we discuss it until we both go the same way. That's our, our writing process. And then as far as visualizing goes, you know, Michael, it comes from a very strong music background. He's very musical. He's also very technical when it comes to all the shot listing and working with the DP and all the technical elements that goes into what, you know, all everything that we're ordering for the, you know, the camera packages and the lighting and all of that stuff. And he's really involved in that. I'm more into working with the, you know, the production designer and the costume designer and makeup and hair, but we really don't divide and conquer that much. We really do sort of have a collective vision. So we, you know, when it comes to actually telling the story, I think that we both, it's really important that we both are on the exact same page. The Coen brothers, didn't they say the Coen brothers, like one picks an A and one picks an L? You know, it's like we've seen partnerships that are very described in similar ways. So I don't think it's that confusing. And if you're married, you know, like both Ulrich and I are married to separate partners. And I think we know that there's like a, a weird squishiness to decision making (laughs) in all times, (laughs) every situation. I think we need to move to our final six questions. We ask everyone these questions before we do. I just want to say plus 100 to Christmas in Transylvania. Like, I don't know what it is. All I have is a long line, but I'm in like, like I'm in a whole body. I am so happy to hear you that, hear you say that because you know, that script is written. It's sort of a Halloween Christmas crossover. Wow. And it's a really fun one. (laughs) So it's definitely out there. So we'll see when we get a chance to make it. With bated breath, I will be waiting. (laughs) (laughs) It's very romantic, too, actually. I I know. I know it's perfect. I already know it's perfect. (laughs) This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. What's the first film you ever made? And you could answer this in the capacity of producer, director, however you want to answer it. What's the first film you ever made? How do you feel about it now? Well, okay. So the first film that I ever made, well, we made a, a, a short film Michael and I did together. He wrote that by himself. But the one, the first film that we made together was Hot Tamale. We wrote it and produced it. Michael directed it. And it was a crime comedy that we did on a you know very indie budget. And it was really fun. It was a great learning experience. We, you know, we shot it on vapors. So we learned how to stretch a buck 
very quickly, which has become a valuable lesson in, in our careers. The thing that happened was we were shooting, you know, because it's a crime comedy, you know, it took place in CD side, you know, kind of the CD sides of LA. And there was a time when we were shooting and we're like, oh, can you ask, can you please clear those people out of the background back there? Those people, he's like, oh, well, that's somebody getting arrested and we have to wait for them to finish arresting him till he can get out. And we looked at each other and we went, oh, you know what? let's make the next movie in a castle or someplace beautiful. <laughs> and so what we learned from it is, is that we liked that we wanted to do, you know, that maybe, and also we had to think up crimes to write the story. And we're, we're just not criminals in our minds. Like for us, we're, I mean, it's not, it's not really, oh. it's not, we're not at our best to try to figure out ways of cheating and stealing and, and dealing drugs and stuff like that. So that's what we learned from that movie. <laughs> and that's, I think when we decided to move into more family friendly and just like happy, more inspiring stories, but we did have, but that, but Hot Tamale did have a good message in the end. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Oh, I've had so many people give us, you know, really be super helpful. I would say, oh my gosh, it's probably, it's got to be from my father. And that would be to stay true to yourself and make sure that you, that you hold on to your vision because there's so many, you have so many team members and so many talented people around you and a lot of people and so many opinions that, you know, it's easy to sometimes relinquish or, you know, second guess yourself. So anyway. Okay, so, and the worst, the worst. Yeah, oh, the worst. It doesn't have to be something that you've, that's been dispensed at you. It could be something that you've heard. But yeah, what's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever witnessed or received? I'm trying to think. That. I'm trying to think of what would be the, what would be the worst advice that I've heard anybody ever say. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really try to, 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 oh yeah, okay. Michael, Michael's over here. He just reminded me, I have a really good one. And that is, is that you guys always do 120%. It really only has to be 80% and no one's going to know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Amazing. We just don't have the money for 120% or we don't have the time. For <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I think if you can tell a story and make people happy or change their perspective in a positive way or to inspire or give people hope, that would be my, my goal. If you could go back in time, what's the piece of advice you would give yourself? Pay more attention in my on-camera career. Pay more attention to the production side of it. I could have learned a lot more than I did. And last question, is making movies hard? It's it's really hard. And if it's your passion, then it's so worth it. You did it. You survived. <laughs> you can go. You can rest. But I can go I, edit now because we're editing actually edit. <laughs> today. Irish Wish. Are you editing yes. Irish Wish? Oh yes, we are. Oh, wow. Do you have a call to action for our listeners as a as a departing note? Like, is it to just to watch Falling for Christmas? Is it to follow y'all on Twitter? Is it to give to charity? What do you want people to do? Oh, oh, I would love for everybody to to watch Falling for Christmas. And if if they love it, to give us a thumbs up. Because if you nice. want if you want more films like that, then we just have to support them. So not just ours, I would say support, you know, if you if you love rom coms, you love Christmas movies, then get out there and watch them and write them. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber, back to the show. 
Ulrich, what do you remember about our chat with Janine? Well, she was such a wonderful, like, she had such a wonderful energy about her. She had, like, what a really sweet personality. She was very honest, very open. It was kind of amazing to hear about her journey from, like, going from writing, producing movies with her husband, and her husband would direct everyone, to, like, now, like, this is the first time that she actually directed one herself. And this kind of hearing about how that came about, you know, how she approached it, like, how she felt about it, and then, like, hearing the fact that she's making yet another movie as a director that she, I think she had already shot at that time. It's pretty cool. So, like, you know, I just really like to hear about her evolution from writer to producer to director and how she, like, seemed to settle into the director's chair so well. And then hearing, of course, about Lindsay Lohan and then, like, her whole experience working with her and then how she earned Lindsay's trust through the process. I thought that was really interesting, too. And just, like, really good, like, information for any director working with, you know, a big actor for the first time. It's just, like, super smart, super interesting approach. But what about you? What do you remember? I remember her being very diplomatic about her taking on the director's chair. And I don't know whether it was purposeful or not. And I I wish I pinged at it a little bit more. But I think her husband was sitting right next to her. And she was so kind and giving in the verbiage she used about their decision to go with her as a director rather than him. And I just thought that was like a level of like carefulness and diplomacy and love that she was sharing. But I also really wanted her to, and I hate when women say this to other women, but I really wanted her to own her own talent and jurisdiction as a director and just to say, like, they went with me because I was better. Like, I wanted her to say <laughs> and to acknowledge that. But she, I remember she said something like, well, Lindsay felt more comfortable with a woman director. And it's like, well, clearly Janine has a talent and a prowess for this. And I think she's just very kind and generous in the way she talks and in her relationship with her husband. But I'd love to see a world where she says something like, you know, because I'm a badass. That's why I got the job. But maybe that's <laughs> in the future. And maybe that's not her at all. But I thought that that could be an interesting exercise. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like... It's, it's really interesting because I think just for her getting the job, like that just makes her a total badass. Like for her first movie to be a Netflix movie and to be at that high of a budget level with like a recognizable star. I mean, that's really, really cool, you know? And I, I wonder what her husband would have said if we were talking to him about like their experience as a, a team, because the way she was describing yeah. their whole career was that they were a team. Kind of like the Coen brothers, you know, in a way where they like, you know, they're behind the camera, they're next to each other the whole time. You know, it's just that Michael would, would do the talking to the actors and, and she, you know, wouldn't, you know, be a part of that part, you know, but now that like that, that was what she had to take on and she had to do that herself. It was like a completely new experience, but it sounded like she just fit into it like a glove, you know, which like, why w wouldn't she if she had been on so many sets already and like had been pretty much gone through the experience so, so many times, time and time again. So I don't know. It's just a really cool story. And I feel like for anybody who was like wondering if they could direct or not. It's like, yeah, you can just, uh, you know, if you know your story and you know your characters, do it. Don't hide behind, you know, being a writer only or a producer only or whatever. Like, you know, give it a shot. See what happens, you know. But, you know, what also is very exciting is it's time to play the game. So for people who are new to the show, who haven't listened before, the game is something that our wonderful producer, Eric Toms, constructed, which is basically like a scenario that we present to one another about like a problem or an issue either on set or leading into a movie or after a movie is finished, like some sort of indie filmmaking, you know, conundrum 
that you need to come up with a solution for. And uh, these are, you know, presented to each other blind. So Liz has not seen this question. She has not heard this question. She does not know what this question is. I am reading it for the first time right now. And here we go. For the past few years, you've been working closely with a producer to find funding for a feature film that is a labor of love for the two of you. Financing is only half of the way complete and most inroads have gone cold. But the producer comes to you and says they found an investor who will put up the other half of the money and give you complete creative control, except for one thing. They insist that a religious storyline be added to the film. <laughs> Although it's a fairly mainstream religion, it's, it's not one you agree with. To make matters worse, <laughs> there are large portions of the story that are based on true events, and every day you're getting further and further from the true life events. The excitement to make a film about it is waning. You are running out of time and getting desperate. Do you A, agree and add the religious storyline to the film, knowing that it will compromise your original vision for the film, disagree and potentially scrap the film as well as all of the work you've done over the past few years, C, agree, film the religious storyline and then try your best to cut it out of the final product, knowing that a fight with the investor is inevitable. D, other. <laughs> what do you do, director? <laughs> what do you do? I feel like maybe anyone who listens to the show knows what I'm going to say. I, I would not do this. I would not go with an investor who would stipulate a specific religious storyline, especially if it's a labor of love film for me. <laughs> I think actually the real point of contention here is like if it's a true story and I'm dealing with the reputations and estates of various people who are not myself, then kind of corrupting their image and their legacy by putting some other religion in association with their lives. So that seems real immoral and I'm not interested in that. But I don't think that means it's you scrap the whole project. I mean, Eric was like, time is running out. And it's like, what time? Like, well, of course, time, these things take forever. Funding films takes forever. And if we have half the money raised and we have enough interest that we could attract one investor who wants to put the rest of the money in, we'll find another investor. I was listening to my favorite podcast other than ours, Dead Eyes, and Nicole Byer was on it and she said something really wonderful. She said, there was magic before, there'll be magic again. Like, I, I would yeah. have enough faith that we could find another investor. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> going to go with you on this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like adding a religious storyline, it's like, okay, hmm, that first part of the sentence, like, all right, let's hear about this, that you don't agree with. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then adding that it's a true life story and that adding the religious storyline is making the true life story not true anymore. It's like, yeah. wow, not a good idea. <laughs> and and then he added one other sentence that really stuck to me. The excitement to make a film about it is waning. No, bad. Like, if, <laughs> if, if this investor is making you add a storyline that you don't like, changing the story that it is based on and making you less excited <laughs> about the movie, run away as fast as you can. There will be other money. <laughs> don't, you know, yeah. especially if you're already halfway there. I mean, people probably don't realize halfway funded is, is huge. Like that's huge a big deal. deal. And like trying to finding someone who's going to help you find the rest of the funding or like getting more money once you're halfway funded is like so much easier. Then if you don't have any funding or you even have a quarter funding or like whatever. So, 
yeah, I, I think you don't need this person. <laughs> like, you're going to find another way to make this movie. Like, take take the time. You know, it's worth it. You know, so, yeah, I totally That was the easiest you. question we've had. Eric, Yeah, it's a good just, question, but it was the easiest like, one. He just added too many red flags. Like, you know, he just really, I think like he was trying to see if I would say yes. You'd be like, like, what can I throw at Ulrich to see if Ulrich will still go with this crazy idea? Like, will he still try to make it happen if I throw all this shit on top of it? Well, Eric, you you succeeded. I cannot do it. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> so, because I think every other time he's had a question like this, I've always been like, yeah, I'll make the movie. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll do it somehow. Yeah. But not, no, not this one. Run away. But that being said, I would totally make a faith-based film that wasn't in my faith. And I don't know if you would too, but like, I would totally do like a Christian uplifting underdog sports stu- story movie or whatever or like yeah. firefighter story i would totally make those movies but like our our issue is something much different than that it's not the faith that's not our own it's every other red flag he mentioned yeah i guess that sentence or that part of the sentence it's not one you agree with like you know what does that mean? Like to me, like when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, so they're sat- Satanists, right? Or like there, it's like there's some sort of religion that I just, they're cannibalists if that's a religion, whatever it is. Like it's like something I don't believe in, you know, like, but, right. I, but I'm not Jewish. I'm not Muslim. I'm not whatever, but like, I, you know, I don't disagree with those religions specifically necessarily, but right. like, you know, yeah. So. But, it, but, it, but I'm not, but I'm not one of them. So I don't know if that's what he meant. It's like, I, it's not my faith. Or it's, or is it actually yeah, one disagree. that I think is a, a bad faith, you know? <laughs> so I don't know if I could make a movie with a faith that I thought was a, was wrong, right? With like a religious sect that I thought were, were bad. Yeah. I don't think I could do that, but I could make, you know, a Jewish movie. Sure. You know, like I could do that. Yeah. Although I don't know if it would be appropriate, but I, but I would be willing to do it. <laughs> If, if someone wanted I to. would be fine with that as as the Jew of the conversation I would be okay with that <laughs> I mean like I think a lot of people can tell stories that aren't necessarily their stories they could tell things from a different perspective and that's really interesting right from an outside yeah. perspective so I'm pro that yeah and I have a lot of Jewish friends I would just be able to rely on them be like hey guys <laughs> What should I do here? Yeah. Uh, how can I make this better yeah. in this situation, et cetera, et cetera? Oh. Great question, Eric. Thank you again. Always, always a joy. Uh, if you have thoughts on this question or any other of the questions, you can send us a, a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you really like this show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Hey, you know, not saying like whatever that we have to have it or whatever, but it'd be nice to have one more iTunes review by the end of the year. So people, it's the 26th. You got like four or five days. Let's uh, see what you guys can do here. And finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. You can check out the International Screenwriters Association, our good friends over at the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and of course, their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Janine Damien for coming on the show. Thanks to Cicely Cronin from Cicely Publicity for setting this up. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for simply being awesome. Thanks to all of you out there for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.
Amazing. Alric, do you mind pressing record on your end so we can oh, right, jump right uh, in? I forgot. Liz told me, Alric, you're recording this week. And I was like, I uh, said, no problem. And then I completely forgot. Wait, I'm doing it to the cloud. I don't want to go to the cloud. Cloud's bad. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.